But and to be clear, Tree of Life, beautiful fucking movie. I just yeah, if you're into screensavers, I think that's a movie. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, like Terrence Malick. Okay, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna pull that slam back on this book. Yeah, this book is great if you want art on your wall. That's kind of it's a, the, the same thing. Like there is a depth to Terrence Malick that I don't think I was ready to receive, and I think that's there's an appreciation for this, but also an appreciation that I'm having trouble appreciating. Hey, so you ever start the day off on nice and normal and realize you're in the middle of a dream? Are you sure you're not still in the dream, Brian? I don't, but I do know one thing, that we are in this week's episode of Quarantine Comics. And on this episode, we're gonna we're going into a world that starts off mundane and inevitably gets really, really weird with The New World, comics from Mauritania, a collection of short and medium-length stories from the 1980s by the indie cartoonist Chris Reynolds and compiled by the legendary cartoonist Seth. Now, Reynolds' art is characterized by thick lines and deep black spaces that look like some combination between film noir and a technical manual. In short, it's an odd, disorienting aesthetic befitting of stories that take place in abandoned houses, the offices of failing businesses, run-of-the-mill apartments. It's mundane people sauntering through mundane spaces until suddenly the world seems to open up and hint at some strange undercurrent that can't be fully seen. I'm just grateful that this time it didn't feature any human bodies being ripped apart, although I think I felt my sanity being ripped apart this time. Well, I need to give you a break sometime, but not too much of a break, Roman. I mean, that'd just be too easy, right? I'm Roman Suggel. I'm Ryan Joe. And are we two guys from outer space? I don't know, are we? After reading this, who knows, brother? Well, then I gotta ask, did this collection intrigue you, or did it put you to sleep, or something in between? Yes. Had <laughs> both, mean, right? Good lord. good lord. The first half of this read like a fucking Ter- Terrence Malick film. I didn't know what was going on. And I appreciated it, but I was just like, what is going on? But the second half, I, I felt like I was in Ed- Edward Hopper, like black and white daydream. So I guess that was bringing me back into this. But what the fuck, dude? <laughs> What the fuck is this? I'm just curious. At what point did this start to gel for you? Or maybe gel is not the right word. At what point did you start to go with a flow? And was it like a story? Or was it like you were finally able to at least just kind of adapt to what Chris Reynolds was trying to do? You know, I think the thing that did this book a disservice was this compilation, I should say, is the first story if I'm not mistaken, is an actual story with a character and a protagonist and a plot. And that's what I decided to expect as I continued through it. And I just kept getting fragments and segments and statements. And I didn't mind them. You know, I was texting with a a college and high school buddy of mine, Joe, and a lot of this work, this kind of lino cutting, I mean, you described it very aptly, instruction manual was reminiscent of the work my friend joe has i'm literally sitting next to a box of his prints that i used to have up at my old house so for that it it felt and and i'm a trained like printmaker so 
I, even though this looks like pen art, but I was I was drawn into a very familiar space with the art, and I was just disoriented the whole time yeah. for the first half of this. I think that's totally the intention. You know, you're drawn into a familiar space, and then suddenly he disorients you. And the extent to which that's successful, the extent to which you are able to go along with that, I think it kind of depends. For me, it definitely depended on which story I was reading. I felt like sometimes some of the stories I was totally enraptured by what he was doing, and other times I was just impatient. And I think there's a reason. Well, the, go on. The, impa- the, yeah, the impatience is what was the most frustrating thing to me because I found myself stopping and wanting to I was like, am I missing something? Is there a statement being made? No. When was this published? No statements. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> no, it's it's that feeling when you're kind of immersed in a world and you get you get the sense that there's more to the world than you can see. And you see fragments of the secret world, but you're never going to get the answers. And this is so this is a book where if you are a person who really wants answers to all the mysteries, you are going to be so pissed off. But if you are able to just sort of get absorbed by it and accept that there are things that you won't ever 100% get the answers to, this book really, really kind of works. There's a level of magic to this book. I, I don't disagree. I probably could have let myself go with the flow a little sooner on this. But my fundamental point of disagreement here is I don't mind not knowing the answers to the mystery. I'll keep bringing back Club Lost. I don't need to know where the smoke monster is coming from. But I wasn't even sure what the fucking mystery was half the time. <laughs> like, it, it, some of these stories, and again, beautifully rendered. There, there's a lot that I liked, but half the time, I was just not sure where, where not necessarily where it was going, but what it was trying to tell me or even what questions it was trying to frame in my mind, I was just like, where are we going? Where are we going? And I'm, I'm fine to be along with the journey, but I still don't even know, like, are we walking? Are we flying? Is this a dream? Is this science fiction? And I could never find my footing, I guess. As a reader, I just never found my footing. And it's not a discomfort that I had. It was an awkwardness yeah, that I felt. I totally agree with that. He doesn't, and that's why he loved it. <laughs> I love, I, I love certain aspects of it, and there are other times when I didn't love it. All of the stories begin in sort of a mundane way. The dial yeah. is the first story, and it begins with a man returning home to an empty house and calling up a friend and saying, "Hey, do you wanna, do you wanna hang out?" So it's, it's actually almost. It almost feels kind of like literary fiction. There's a lot of like interiority about what's going through his mind, this mystery of this house. And as you get deeper and deeper into it, things make less and less sense. And by the end of it, there's just no way any of it can be put together into a narrative that makes any sense whatsoever. And this is consistent with Chris Reynolds throughout the entire collection. And there are times when I felt like this is really, really enrapturing. And there are times when I felt, what are you doing? This You're just making this shit up as you go along. And I kind of, for me, it was sort of like, as I, as I, if I read over long periods of time, I would start to get impatient. If I would kind of read it in chunks, I could really kind of go with the flow. And, and, and that speaks to how it's released and how it's versus how it's presented, right? Yeah. Because 
these were released slowly in different anthologies, and we're reading a collection, a phone book of these in one in one to two yeah. sittings. I I kind of think about like like David Lynch, like my favorite David Lynch movie is Mulholland Drive. There's actually that's probably like a bad comparison because I think there is actually a reality in Mulholland Drive that you could draw out of it but some of his other movies like inland empire as quentin tarantino says like sometimes david lynch goes like so far up his ass you don't know like what the hell is going on and that's (laughs) like a movie that's like three hours long and it's intriguing for one and a half hours and then you realize that nothing is going to happen it's just a series of weird images and you've still got an hour and a half left of the movie and i felt reading chris reynolds back cover to cover kind of eventually gave me that effect where, okay, I kind of see the trick you're doing. You keep doing it. I am a little bit impatient. I want to read something that's a little bit more grounded. After you do that and you come back to the world of Chris Reynolds, it's, again, it's it's sort of staggering. For me, I don't know about everybody else, but for me, I needed to kind of read it and have a break and then read it again. And that's when the the book sort of worked best for me. Yeah, I think um yeah, it's it's weird when we read books for this podcast, I usually I'm a fast reader and so I usually wait till the last minute, one or two days before um our recording cuz I want to come into it very fresh. And in this case, I started last night and I finished an hour ago, right? And I do wish there had been an instruction manual that came with this that said read 20 pages a night, you know, like just space it out because I think you you want some of this to sit with you. You want to to read something that doesn't make sense and have it like simmering in the back of your head for a full day while you're doing other things, going about your business. Because then when you come return to the material a day later, even if it's a different story, this isn't meant to be a page turner. It, it, it's meant to simmer, yeah. I think. Yeah, you're, you're kind of meant to sit there and kind of be absorbed in the world, be absorbed in the effect that the world creates. Be absorbed in the mystery and the fact that you're never going to solve all of it or any of it. We've read a lot of comics, I think, that really kind of try to teach you how to read comics, you know, like or that are that are sort of unique in that you have to relearn how to read. It's probably a better mm-hmm. way of describing it. This isn't the only one. Mobius was another one. That's very much of a you know go with the flow sort of comic. I think Paramus is another one where you have to kind of figure out what they're doing before you can actually read it. And then to an extent, Chris wears Rusty Brown, though that one does have a much more solid narrative you can kind of grasp onto. And of those that I just mentioned, the New World is the one that defies narrative the most. There just really isn't, you know, a quest or anything that is plot driven that can really anchor what you're seeing. That's not like, the rule for the entire book, obviously, like the last bo- the story in this collection, Mauritania, does have a, a kind of a narrative. Um, and actually, sure. I think it's the one that works kind of the best. But they're all they're all books that sort of force you to, okay, you read it the first time and you're like, okay, I think I know what he's doing. And you almost kind of need to go back and reread it. And I'm actually kind of curious. We both read The New World only once. What would this book feel like if we were to go back and reread it? Would our would our review of it be be different? And I kind of suspect it would. I think we'd probably wait. So so wait, hang on. Upon your recommending this book, this was a book you'd wanted to read, but you never read until coming into this podcast. Uh huh. Huh. 
Why? For some reason, I thought this was well. I mean, the the premise of the and we're getting meta, that's which is fine. But the occasionally we always read books that we've been wanting to read. But you know, when we started this pod uh, a couple of years ago, it was and it was kind of the roots of our friendship many years ago. It was like, oh, you haven't read this, you've got to read this. It was like the recommendation to a comic book friend to read something that you liked, right? Be it Kingdom Come or other things here and there, and that's interesting that this was. Uh, so let me. I, I actually want to ask the broader question: How had you heard of this book? Like, how does a book like this even come on your radar? Is it because of your familiarity with Seth and Seth saying this was one of the most underappreciated works a few years ago? Like, how does this even fall on your lap? I don't even understand how someone could discover this. I follow Ed Park on Instagram, and he. <laughs> <laughs> that was so anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah. And he's the well, he's the the writer who wrote the forward and I had literally never heard of this book before. And I saw the images and I was just like what this is very this is a really unusual aesthetic. I think yeah I I am less interested in revisiting books that I've read in the past. I mean that's a generalization. I sir, I, I want to go back to Swamp Thing for instance. I wouldn't mind rereading Frank Miller's Ronin. But I'm kind of I kind of feel like I've seen a lot of the comics that are available now. I, I've kind of seen it before. I've seen it in the movies. I, it feels sort of derivative. And I'm really kind of seeking out stuff that I have literally never read before or that will kind of like put me in a completely new world for better or for worse. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to the new world and its aesthetic. I had never seen anything like it before. And I think that's hmm. a lot of the reasons why I've been kind of zeroing in on, you know, books from, this isn't Fantagraphics. This is the, I think the New York Times Review of Books or New York Review of Books. You know, I, I, I'm actively looking for stuff that's just weird and has an unusual aesthetic. As I've, I've kind of, we talked about this before, but I've kind of lost a lot of patience with superhero comics. Of in, course. In, in that I feel like, like I, I, I know where they're all going to go. And there's comfort in that, you know, there's comfort in the familiarity. But at the same time, if I'm going to be reading a comic, I, I, I think the medium is so powerful. Why repeat the stuff that you loved when you were 16? You know, why revisit the stuff you loved when you were 16 only to be disappointed by it? Why not go for something completely different? In a way, the stuff no, that I, you... I, 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 I to, mean, to, be, to be fair, like... Uh, go ahead, please. No, I was going to say, like, like, you know, the stuff that you read when you were 16 and that resonated with you when you were 16 or 20 or whatever. I don't know. It's sort of like, you know, when you ever, when you, when you have a memory of a video game that you played mm -hmm, when you mm -hmm. were eight or nine and you're like, wow, that, that game was really transporting. And then you play it again in your late 30s. You're like, man, what this stupid game? The graphics are shit. Why did I even like this? <laughs> and it kind of destroys the, the memory of the game. And I, I feel like, a lot of the comics that I read when I was younger wouldn't hold up. And the reason that I found them so enrapturing when I was younger was because it's stuff that I had never seen before or read before right, or right, even thought right. about. And now I kind of want that same effect. But in order to get that same effect, I can't re be revisiting stuff I read in the past. You have to kind of be actively searching out for new things. That being said, it is sort of ironic that the New World came out in the 1980s. But again, exactly, that, that's, that's exactly comment. what I was going to say. It, it's the it's the undiscovered country. Yeah, something you know, you and I, I think, on a similar trajectory of our adulthood, fell in love or had too many kind of like bad relapses with superhero comics. So five ten years ago, I just started, you know, and part of it was 
accidental for me, I would walk into a library and ask about their graphic novel section. And yeah, you'd see the Spider-Man and the X-Men and the image shit. But then there was a bunch of other weird shit sectioned off with it. And so I just, you know, because comic books at the library are free, I would just grab a bunch of random weird stuff. And and it wasn't even like a book by its cover. It was just like looking at the spine of the book and be like, oh, that's a really weird name or, oh, wow, I like the typography on that. And that's where my exposure to so many independent comics came in the last 10 years. And that's some of the stuff I've been, you know, there's still kind of a soft spot for your potato chip, you know, old friend of a superhero yeah. comic. But yeah, I mean, like I didn't discover Jean Lun Yang or, you know, and I guess inevitably, even if we, you and I had never become friends, I probably would have stumbled upon Junji Ito at some point, you know, <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> maybe had a different exposure. Or to he him, would but... have stumbled upon you. <laughs> Who's that behind me? But I, I think I, I hear you. I, but I, what, what, the beauty of this is, is we are discovering books that might have come out while we were stuck in the superhero genre. To your point, this yeah. book came out in the 60s. And it's as Seth says in the afterward, it's like, this is something. There's two things about this. One, Seth says it's one of the most underappreciated works. I'm not sure how I feel about this. I, I do need to let it simmer beyond the, the one hour since I completed it. But there is a timelessness to it. Oh, definitely. I'm reminded... I'm reminded of, did you ever watch Mr. Show with Bob and David, the uh, HBO sketch comedy series? I did not. That's when with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Exactly, exactly. It's arguably one of the greatest sketch comedy shows ever made. And there's a, and a set sketches of it resurface on the internet. One showed up in my YouTube algorithm the other day. And the way they created that content, and I am actually reminded of what Chris Reynolds is doing here. Is there some timeless energy, timeless settings to kind of what is shown? There's nothing really in the moment, be it political, pop culture, even technology, that this feels like I could have read it yesterday, if that makes sense. Uh, I mean, there is something about the the phones and battery operated right. and stuff like that. But that just feels like just kind of, OK, it's kind of like Mad Men. It's kind of a throwback 60s thing. But it's there's a timeless quality to this that and while Mr. Show's very different genre, sketch, comedy, etc. And this is I don't know what the fuck this is, but um, these are the kind of prints you could put up on your wall and they would be relevant 40 years from now. Yeah, I, I think that's actually part of the power of it. I mean, the only time that the, the, the technology described in the book feels dated is the last comic when they mentioned cordless phones. But even then, it doesn't feel like it doesn't it's not exactly like it is so distracting. And I think part of the power of this book is that a lot of the characters that populate it are, again, they're very, very almost boring people, right? It's a guy who's just returning home. It's some kind of vaguely dissatisfied office workers. It's some person on a boat just trying to kill time. It's not, they're not like extraordinary people. And yet they kind of find themselves immersed in these very strange circumstances. But even then, you know, I think sometimes sci-fi gets really dated when they try to explain how everything works, because then you're like, oh, that's how they thought right. in the 60s. That's how they thought in the 70s. They never really try to explain shit. I mean, you don't even know if the sci-fi elements are actually real. You get the sense that there's an alien invasion that might have happened, but you don't know. It's just... The and they, don't, they don't dwell on it. They don't yeah, dwell on it. We're living in the world. This has already happened. Yeah. yeah. You, and, 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 and people just sort of accept it. And you don't really know like the nature of the alien invasion or what they're doing or how they're structured. And in a way, you know, that's a good thing because the story is not really about that. In a way, all of the weirdness that happens sort of takes place in the 
in the background. It is part of the environment and is part of the, the stuff that makes the environment weird and unusual and memorable. But it's not it's not the stuff that's driving the plot to the extent that there is even a plot in any of the comics. Well, and th- what's interesting, though, you talk about plot and th- what you're describing is, I think, the first story. The first story had a plot like and again, I was really drawn to it. Like I was like, to your point, I didn't need to know what happened. I We just know that something happened and this is the world afterwards. And the the driving force is how do we interact in this new world? Full stop. And that was powerful and interesting because I yeah, to your point, was it aliens? Was it environment? And I, later on, I do believe they reveal it was aliens and I didn't care. And that's OK, because I was more intrigued by this man's journey with the house. But then you turn the page and it's just these like one to two page vignettes that felt like they were trying to make a point or make a statement. And I just wasn't sure what it was or where what I was supposed to be thinking. And I guess that should have been the point that to answer your very original question, maybe that was the point I should have let go. But I was still holding on because of that first plot. No, I I, I... It took me a while too, right? The first story is the dial. This is the one where the man t- comes home. He notices weird things are happening in the pictures. It's almost the stuff of uh, of a horror movie. I mean, the way it's illustrated looks like a horror movie. The house that he goes to is abandoned, that he returns home to is huge, abandoned, full of big black spaces and strange people appearing for no reason. You know, I don't think it's a horror movie. I think it's a nightmare. And there's a difference. A horror movie is, be it body horror, monsters there's something more psychological it's that really bad dream that you can't wake up from that that was the visceral reaction you know it's like everything's familiar but everything's off and nothing makes sense and the fear there is the grasp lack of a grasp on reality that 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 made me uncomfortable there's nothing scary about it other than not knowing where your mind is going well that but i was also saying like aesthetically it looks like a horror movie right <laughs> i mean doesn't it though like like you look at all of these shadows that are cast as big empty in, within this big empty house but of course as you get deeper and deeper into the story you realize like just weird stuff is happening and it's happening for no reason and there's no real logic behind it and whether that's something that you accept or you know again it's 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 something that it took me a while to accept i wasn't until i you know i started getting deeper into the book where i realized okay Chris Reynolds is just, he's just, he's just, everything he writes is just going to defy explanation. Just go with it and just kind of like appreciate the moments. But you know, you know, what's interesting though, Ryan, just to kind of contrast our perception of, of the drawings I'm flipping through these pages, these pages didn't scare me. Like I wasn't taken to, and maybe again, it could be my background in like black and white printmaking. I mean, this just kind of felt like good use of negative space. I yeah. didn't feel haunted by the, and that's okay, but it's just like, I didn't feel haunt. I, I literally the, nothing about the illustrations haunted me. And again, that's actually what made it scary. Everything made sense graphically. I felt comfortable. I felt at ease. It was the situation that really got under my skin. I don't think they're ever supposed to be explicitly scary in the way that Junji Ito is sure, trying to sure. horrify you. But they recall, you know, horror movies. Or, you know, there's the one called the cinema detective, you know, they recall, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. film noir, you know, they, so they're, they're, it's definitely tipping its hat to familiar cinematic genres. Tropes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Whether, you know, 
I don't think the the intention is ever to like you're never supposed to read this with a sense of dread that you are you know like when you read again a Junji Ito comic or (laughs) or or Alan Moore Swamp Thing but it's definitely an homage to it and in a way I, I actually I really like that right because when you think about those genres noir and horror right it's almost again it's almost feels like they're so hyper they're so stylized it feels like a dream. Mm-hmm. I mean, David Lynch does this all the time, right? You know, there's so much genre that he's kind of like nodding towards in his movies. It almost feels sort of like hyper real. I think that kind of lends, you know, that lends David Lynch, his movies a lot, that gives a, them a lot of power, a lot of, makes them so memorable. And I think that's the same with with Chris Reynolds, you know, in, in kind of nodding to genre and sort of imitating the the genre aesthetic whether it's horror or noir there's an there's sort of like a primal element that makes these comics hard to forget it makes them kind of sit in your brain right because it's the familiar made unfamiliar can we talk about monitor and jimmy let's talk about monitor and jimmy the two helmeted guys yeah because though that's the other thing right even though each story doesn't really has a kind of a weird internal logic, but that never really adds up. From story to story, there are characters who recur, and there are connections, and so there's this uh, pretense towards this greater narrative. And I think Monitor and Jimmy are the ones that best kind of exemplify that. Yeah, I, as is the the female detective and kind of her entourage. Uh, and it's so. Everything else has a mundane, familiar quality to it. It's almost comforting, right? The layouts, the scenes, the this is not spaceships. These aren't aliens. And there's a kid walking around in an astronaut's helmet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's this like mascot of the absurd that, and he, there's nothing absurd about him. He's normal. He's like, why are you looking at me? I'm not the weird one. <laughs> like with everything he does as well. And then, you know, the obsession of Jimmy to ba- later on literally take on the mantle of of monitor and and you know monitor as a character as i'm kind of like staring at the pages there was a mystery there was a story that was never revealed um mm-hmm. but you know was he from space was he from the future what's going on but when he disappears and this little kid jimmy just decides to become just like him and you know take on a helmet that becomes even more normal just like okay it's just a kid who wants to dress up like a weirdo versus the other guy might have been a weirdo like i'm not sure what to make of it but here's what i'd say at least it kept it interesting like i almost was like relishing waiting to see when monitor would show up again to kind of entertain me so to speak yeah i I think those recurring characters sort of reward like faithful readers i don't know it's sort of like you know, you, you might know a stranger from work or maybe you see the same person on your commute every day, but mm. you have no idea what the hell their story is. You can only kind of like fill it in. And, you know, maybe sometimes there's like a big change in the way the stranger looks or whatever. And you might wonder why, but you're never going to fully know. And that's sort of the effect you get with these recurring characters like Monitor and Jimmy. You see Monitor kind of appear again and again doing different things, but not really sure why or what his purpose is. And then you see Jimmy, who's taken by Monitor, starts wearing Monitor's, a similar helmet to Monitor, and then eventually almost kind of takes on the Monitor role at the very end, at the very last story, Mauritania, 
where he's a much more, where he's a character who's a driving what we'll call the, but at the same time, what led from point A to B to C, uh, it's completely unclear, intentionally so. You're never going to know. You can fill it in. You can guess. But there's a lot of blank space in between, narrative blank space in between that, you know, frankly, you're never meant to know. And it's up to you to, f- to figure it out or to fill it in yourself. And I think, again, that gives it a lot of, that gives this book a lot of power. Right, because in a way, he gives you some fragments of a story, but it's up to you to kind of stitch it together. And in stitching it together, it, it, it you almost kind of make it your own, which is actually kind of an unusual thing with a story when it comes to stories, when it comes to comics, any story really. Most of the time, everything's kind of hand fed to you. In this case, <clears throat> you have to bring your own imagination, your own perception to to the new world, and and fill in what's happening behind the scenes. And in much of the way his illustrations are, right? You know, all of these dark spaces, empty spaces, what's what's in the darkness, what's there? You have to kind of well, figure it out. It, it's almost counterintuitive because this book makes you work a little bit oh, yeah. to everything you just said. But at the same time, the best way to enjoy it is just to lean back and kind of let it wash over you. So it, 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 it's, it's this really delicate needle to thread because how do you do that? Well, right? Like, how do you let go, and how do you you work to to have a, an interpretation of it? I I don't necessarily think those two things are are mutually exclusive. You know, I mean, I th- I think again in the same way that you might see a stranger over and over again, and you might try to guess at what their story is. You never you it, it's work to kind of fill in the blanks, but you have to kind of acknowledge the fact that you're never going to know for sure, except the mystery mm-hmm. essentially. So, you know, as you're kind of letting this wash over you, you do kind of have to fill in the blanks. Like, why is this happening? You kind of have to do a lot of guessing, but you also kind of have to let go and know that it's never going to be made explicitly clear to you ever. And you just kind of have to accept that. There's like a greater mystery. You know, it's like like life's mysteries, right? I mean, you go through life trying to do your best to interpret what is set before you, but you never fully understand why. And you have to acknowledge that there's often going to be a whole side, multiple sides that you're just not going to, you're not going to ever have the answers to. And maybe that's going to suck, especially if you're the sort of person who really <laughs> needs to know the answers to everything. But, you know, I mean, part of the the beauty of life and how sublime it can be is is that the, pre- the the presence of that mystery? I don't disagree. Comics, a lot of people think comics are about superheroes. And I think I, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. It's just a... And I guess I should kind of take that lesson here. Because some of the books we've read, be it fiction or nonfiction, across genres, I've always treated as entertainment. And this felt like a study in many ways. A study in myself, uh, a study in how to read, how to how to relearn how to read some of these things, and this one felt like work. And I'm not saying that was a bad thing; it's just not what I was expecting as I went into the, especially the first half more so than the latter half. And so, it's just kind of a different mental state I think you have to be in because it's not like some of the other books where we had to let go, like the Mobius book, right? It's that was just a wild fucking ride. Get ready, go for it. <laughs> This is really, and again, maybe it's needs to be read in doses. Do, doing it in a sitting just 
doesn't feel like it does it justice. Yeah, Mobius speaks the language of action adventure, right? So there's always something happening. It's kinetic. There's 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 an action sequence, and it might not add up fully, or you might not know exactly what they're fighting for, but it's exciting. And this, the new world isn't. In in fact, it's almost kind of the complete opposite, since so much of the story is just people sitting at desks, wonder like <laughs> sitting around, what's going on kind of weird the new world is much more about the silences i think and and what might lie between the silences and uh mobius by contrast is at least the inkle which is what we're referring to is is much more about the about the action and the adventure and the 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 romp as it were it's like strange things are going to happen and it's going to be exciting it's not going to add up but it's going to be exciting and this is sort of like oh you know you're sitting down and damn, what the fuck is going on around you? <laughs> that's uh, that's probably the episode title. <laughs> would you I'm curious would, to what extent would you recommend this? That That's actually the right way to ask the question, I think, from now on, because it depends who you are. <laughs> Do you like David Lynch and Terrence Malick? <laughs> if yes, sure. No, it's I think with the right disclaimers, anyone could read it. But it is like you need to dose this gently. You need to you do need to have an appreciation for some. So some of our guests have only only know of superheroes. Would this be the first non superhero book I'd put in front of them? Oh no, no, because this would be literally if if you'd only seen blockbuster movies. And then being told to watch The Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. Like, you'd be like, I'm, I swear, if this is what the rest of movies are like, I'm done. No, thank you. Um, but, and to be clear, Tree of Life, beautiful fucking movie. I just, yeah, don't if know you're what into screensavers, I think that's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, like, Terrence Malick. Okay, hang on, hang on. I'm going to pull that slam back on this book. Yeah, this book is great if you want art on your wall. That's kind of it's a, the, the same thing. Like there is a depth to Terrence Malick that I don't think I was ready to receive, and I think that's there's an appreciation for this, but also an appreciation that I'm having trouble appreciating it. And again, there's a lot that I liked, and I'll put it up on my wall. This I, I swear this reminds me of my friend Joe's art, which I used to have all over my house, and I'm sitting in a box full of like packaged nicely framed prints of Joe's work, and I'll send it to you later. But yeah, the uh, the Terrence Malick metaphor is playing out very well. Well, I was like with Terrence Malick, like Badlands and Days of Heaven, they've got like a there's a plot. There's like there's there's something to latch on to. And then towards the end of more recent Terrence Malick, it's just he's he literally is making it up, I think, as he goes along. Like there's this anecdote where Adrian Brody thought that he was going to be the star of Thin Red Line. And he was supposed to be the star of Thin Red Line, except that he was totally cut from the movie. And so he didn't realize that until the premiere when the journalist said, well, who did you play in the movie? He thought he was the lead. Only to realize that <laughs> Terrence Malick cut that shit and like had him, his character was suddenly a background character. And the movie was about something else entirely. The issue, I think, there is that Terrence Malick movies are like three plus hours long. And the new world, at least it's kind of delivered in, in chunks. And when he does have a longer story, like Mauritania, there is at least sort of like 
a plot that you can kind of well no, to be clear it, to be clear Mauritania feels very different it, it's it's interesting that you bring that up almost all of my criticism has been about everything prior to Mauritania the so last everything comic, between yeah. yeah like the first short story and Mauritania are almost perfect bookends but there should be a warning label that says <laughs> if you want to have a plot skip to page 215 or 100 and whatever 40 or 125 or just let go for the next 100 pages let go enjoy the screensaver it's gonna look great on your wall <laughs> like these these narrative sequential art vignettes so to speak yeah oh i just want to point out that the mauritania comic which is the last comic in this book in this collection is pretty much half the book so it is it is a yeah. substantial it is a substantial story what did i'm just what did you think of of mauritania since that is in a way that's kind of like the title story i actually loved it i again it was it I hate to keep bringing these pop culture references because the people who are listening probably haven't read these comics. So this is just me kind of like shorthanding it for you. If you liked season two of Lost and you think all the people who got confused and complained about season two of Lost just need to go fuck themselves. Yeah, you're really going to love Mauritania. I loved it. I I didn't need to know the mystery. I liked that there was a mystery. I didn't like having things explained. I was more, maybe I was trained to be in go in the flow mode, go with the flow mode by the time I read all of the other short vignettes. But there was a character. I was on a journey with her. I didn't know where she was going or what she was interpreting or what to make of half of the things half of the time. But I was following along with her internal drama and her internal monologue. So, um, yeah, it felt th that when I made the Edward Hopper joke, this felt like a weird Edward Hopper daydream. That's what Mortania was for me. Yeah, I think Chris Reynolds' work was most impactful for me also when there was something emotional to latch onto. Even if, you know, you weren't, it didn't kind of follow that through line to the end. Even if there wasn't, you know, the narrative logic started to fragment. You know, if it started out with a person that, you know, had drives and desires and interests that made his work a lot more powerful because sometimes some of the stories that didn't work so well for me, you're just automatically adrift and there's so much kind of coming at you or so many different ideas that you have no idea what to grasp at or what's important. So in a way, kind of having that plot as the engine, you know, even though it does feel, you know, I, I, I always feel bad saying, oh, the book has no plot or the story has no plot, and therefore it's not good. But the reason plot is important is because it gives the reader something to grasp onto. And whether you want to follow, whether the plot is, you know, really central to the to whatever story you're trying to tell, or whether it's just sort of a way to get you into the story, I think at least having it there as this initial hook is super important. Yeah, and <laughs> this is going to sound dumb. The second half goes faster because even the pictures are bigger. And it yeah. actually, it's not intentional. And I know it's not intentional, but it, it did give almost a childlike quality to this felt like some of my daughter's board books, how big it was. And this is, again, ugh, the issue with this probably wasn't how it was presented. I'm guessing the earlier stories were on pages and magazines of this size and Mauritania was probably a digest-sized book that was much smaller. So that's actually that, that would force yeah 
Yeah. Because everything else is sort of like, well, kind of like Watchmen, right? It's got a, it's got that nine grid structure for every. Yeah. And then Mauritania is four grids per page. So I, I'm 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 will, willing to bet money that the layout of Mauritania was actually a small, like almost like paperback size book. And we're we're just seeing kind of blow ups because that's how we needed to fit into this nice and neat, beautiful, beautifully created collection. But but it it I don't want to say it took away from it. it. It let me let my guard down and be more comfortable with it. And I I'm actually would be amazed if that was what Chris Reynolds was intentionally doing when he published in a, if he did in a, a larger format. But I I almost wonder if it took something away from the mystery. It just felt more comfortable and more accessible. Never mind the plot. Never mind the pretty mysterious girl. It it just felt easier to read. I mean, literally, because it, was it literally was because it was bigger. But also, I mean, you have a bigger picture. It's easier to kind of get more immersed into it, right? Sort of like or but no, but the, but but the, but the lines are thicker, and therefore it becomes more abstract. Yeah, like just I it's, mean, oh, do, do, do a quick flip back and forth. Like the talk, characters you, seem more abstract. It's it's like they're broken down into into big into shapes. A lot more than in some of the comics where the characters are sort of smaller and exactly they look they exactly. look a little bit more realistic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, well there you but go. But I enjoyed it. That that <laughs> is our journey to Mauritania. Whatever Mauritania is, a planet, a ship, who the hell knows? Well, Robin, let me let me ask you a question. What are what are we reading next week? Ryan, to quote the great Rivers Cuomo, "You take your car to work, and I'll take my board." And when you're out of fuel, I'm still afloat. Because next week we are reading A.J. Dungo's In Waves. It's part memoir, part history book. It's a tender examination of grief and healing. And this was a fun one. It's, I'm not sure what you're going to think about it. But if you don't cry, you're dead inside, Ryan. You're dead inside. That's what we're going to learn next week. Maybe I'll be dead inside. Sounds like a good comic title, actually. (laughs) Sounds like a great podcast. Dead Inside with Roman and Ryan. It's going to be 40 minutes of silence. Check ignition.